Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale September 29th, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Uh, Tucker, I forgot last week to wish you a wonderful fall. Autumn ah. has arrived. Bring on fall leaves. Yeah. I wore a hoodie this morning. It was delightful. It was I'm so right there with you. Yeah. Um, you know, we're the last quarter of the year, I will say, September 30th, my daughter's second birthday. Wow. She's a handful and a half and definitely enjoying the terrible twos, but <laughs> it is spectacular. <sighs> uh, also, this is episode number 169. That is nice. It is nice. <laughs> and we're having a great time. We're going to give you all the new Marvel comics on sale this week. We're going to give you our picks, tell you about some other new comics, give out some awards, and uh, tell you what's hitting the Marvel Infinity comics, what's on Marvel Unlimited, the collections, all that kinds of good stuff. And we have a wonderful reading club. Who is our guest this week? This week, we're chatting with Crystal Frazier. Uh, Crystal is a writer. You may be familiar with her fantastic work on the Gamma Flight series. And we are chatting with Crystal about Ms. Marvel No Normal. That's the collected edition name, of course. That's the origin um, and opening issues of Kamala Khan's story brought to you by G. Willow Wilson and that legendary creative team. So we're breaking it all down, getting into what makes that book so special and talking about a bunch more with Crystal. Let's dive into our picks of the week. First up is Inferno. Number one. If you don't know, the original Inferno was a story from the 80s in which uh, demonic mailboxes tormented New York City. That is the only thing you need to remember uh, from the entire series. No, that's not true. It was a great story. Uh, and this borrows its name from that X-Men story, but it is very different. The Inferno raging here is a little bit more subtle. But it's a hell of a book. It is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Valerio Schiti, colors by David Curiel, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, designed by the always amazing Tom Muller. This is following up on a whole bunch of stuff that Jonathan Hickman has been working around for the last, gosh, two plus years. Jonathan, this is his final X-Men story for now, um, and he's going to be going out with a bang. This is uh, Moira McTaggart, the third of the three architects of Mutant Kind's future with Krakoa alongside Charles Xavier and Magneto. She is finally back in the spotlight here after sort of being hidden away for so long. And she's got a lot of opinions, demands, things, questions, feelings. But since she's been hidden away, things have changed drastically for Krakoa. You've got the rise of Orcus, the human organization that is been building up AI as a means to deter mutant kind. And what that all means, Mystique has been growing angry and frustrated that her wife, Destiny, hasn't been brought back through resurrection protocols. You've got a whole bunch of stuff going on with the island, the introduction of the Iraqi mutants. There's a bunch of stuff that's gone on. But at the core of this, it's about what is the future of mankind going to look like? There's a couple of really key figures, Moira, Mystique, Magneto, Professor Xavier, and things are heating up. I am trying to not say a damn thing about the story <laughs> in here, but got to give it up to Valerio. Doing incredible work. I'm looking at a page here. It's a nine-panel grid, mostly of Moira McTaggart and Magneto and Professor Xavier talking. 
And it's just subtle things. The body language that Moira has here, like the, and then when her eyes explode and, and like anger and frustration, the way that Charles Xavier is drenched in shadow at one point, there's a lot of really great stuff happening throughout this. On top of the, the cool action beats, you've got scary robots and, and big, wonderful things. Really cute moments with the captains of Krakoa celebrating. There's a new captain commander who makes me so happy. So, so happy uh, for their their introduction into here. I guess their promotion in this issue. Um, but I will say the last two pages had me feeling like I wanted to start running around and throwing stuff here in my office. I was so, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Where's number two? I was so into it. I'm so into it. This is a, a friggin' great book. I can't wait for more. Totally agree. Very hyped for that. And I'm also really hyped for everything that's going on in... Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and this week we're looking at issue number 30 of this run, legacy numbering 270, and it's a celebration of the 10th anniversary of Miles Morales. And we get that via a, a few different stories. The main one is, of course, brought to you by the spectacular Miles Morales ongoing series creative team. That's Saladin Ahmed with art by Carmen Carnero, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I've gone on the record a million times talking about what a huge fan of Carmen I am. I think she's just absolutely incredibly talented. One of those people who's really perfectly cut out to pencil a, a Miles Morales book. The uh, main story tells a, a, a really classic, I think, Spider-Man neighborhood type story. It's a very timely villain that he runs into that I think is great and very well written. I don't want to talk more about that, but it has the action. It has the heart. It has the connection that Miles has with the people of his neighborhood, the people of the place that he comes from. Um, and then he has such a deep connection to, and then we have some romance and then we have a really exciting twist at the end, a really exciting introduction that happens that I think is going to demand a higher level for Miles in the story, in the world. It's really, really cool. And then after that, check this out. We have a really great story that's written by Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, Kemp Powers, and Jeff Loveness with art by Sarah Pichelli, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. That's a bunch of the creative team behind uh, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. So, so much talent involved here. Jeff Loveness has done some really great work for us and then sort of went away and quietly has been writing Rick and Morty for the yeah. last couple of years. Um, have you ever seen The Last Man on Earth, the Lord Miller show? I, yeah, I watched season one. Yeah. Oh, dude, it, it even got better. And it ended on such a cliffhanger. Oh, my <laughs> God. But that show is great for anybody who hasn't who's out there. Go watch The Last Man on Earth. And hey, speaking of Rick and Morty, we have more uh, Rick and Morty Marvel creator crossover in the final story here in this mile celebration, which is by Cody Ziegler. That's who I'm talking about in this case with Anthony Piper and VCs Corey Pettit. Cody Ziegler is one of those writers that I am most excited about right now. Um, this is a great issue, such a wonderful celebration and a great look at the origins of this character, where he's been, and then both moving forward in universe and moving forward in terms of the creators that are responsible for shepherding this character into the future. There's so much to be excited about. There's so much good stuff to come. Hell yeah. Uh, all right. Our last pick of the week. 
is Wolverine number 16, the most sexually charged issue of the week. <laughs> and it is written by the most sexually charged writer in comics, <laughs> Benjamin Percy, with art by Adam Kubert, color by Espen Grutengern with Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And you're like, sexually charged Wolverine, tell me more. Um, mm-hmm. It is the sort of the, the final part of this story with Wolverine and Sever Blackmore, the uh, pirate from Iraqi, as well as Solem, the mutant from Iraqi with adamantium skin, who is kind of like unstoppable, unwavering, and like down to clown with everyone around. <laughs> I love Solem. You could tell Ben Percy loves writing Solem. You can tell that Adam has a blast drawing Solem and Wolverine together. One of the main things I loved about this issue was that this is like full on Wolverine and Solem sitting down, having a drink and talking, getting into their their business with each other. It is got knockdown, drag out fights. It's got a, a wonderful way of Wolverine figuring out how to to best his opponents. And there's a text page at the end of this issue in which one of the characters who shows up has sort of like a debrief on Solom and Wolverine and then the events. I will not spoil it, but it made me laugh out loud. It's so good. If that right there doesn't make you want more Solom, more Wolverine with Solom, then I don't know what you're doing reading your comics. It's so fun. It is, of course, an Adam Kubert joint, so it is gorgeous. It's got some really stunning page layouts, and it also has uh, this beautiful sequence where Wolverine picks up the anchor from a ship, and it's just this tall vertical panel. takes about two-thirds of a page. Adam draws it. Wolverine, he's holding this chain arms rippling, his shirt is torn. He looks so friggin' badass. So cool. I don't think I've ever seen Wolverine swing around the anchor from a pirate ship before, but I want more of it. This book rules. I know. It's so good. Loved it so much. All right. Those are our picks this week. Now we're diving into all the new comics coming your way this week, and we will be handing out the nice award for niceness this week. And the first one that I'm giving it to is... Kari Andrews, who brings you Amazing Fantasy number three. Really, at the end of the day, uh, I think Kari is one of those people who has been plugging away, putting up great work across Marvel, across comics in general for so long, and has is just such an obviously talented person. So to see a book like this, where Kari can really flex and really, really go for it, both as a writer and as an artist, and show off the incredible talent that he has. I think it's just so cool. It's so much fun. I kind of think of uh, Amazing Fantasy and the story that we're witnessing here. I think of it almost, 1602 comes to mind Mm -hmm. in a similar way. It's just the embrace of utilizing everything we know about a character that we're seeing show up in here and using so much ammunition about what our expectations are for them and either using it in favor of certain things or using it against us in certain ways. It's really, really interesting. And I think this is just such a bold comic book in general. And I'm so excited to read it every time there's a new issue. Yeah. Uh, Also, shout out, there's an Infinity comic that is a prelude to this series. Um, So if you have Marvel Unlimited, you can read that. And it stars uh, a certain... Wolverine uh, in the Amazing Fantasy Infinity comic prelude. All right, we've got Amazing Spider-Man number 74 this week, which is the culmination of the three years of stories that writer Nick Spencer has been doing. It's the wrap-up to the Kindred storyline. All the cards are laid out on the table. All the secrets revealed. Big finale. Lots of tears. Lots of pained looks and sad characters, but also 
warm, sweet embraces. That's why I'm giving my nice award for niceness to Humberto Ramos, who's in here wrapping up the story with what we needed. We needed a good hug, a sweet kiss, some of our favorite characters embracing once again. Uh, But there's also a bunch of extra stories in here at the end, and one of them being a story that leads right into the amazing Spider-Man Beyond stories that are coming super soon, and we'll be getting thrice monthly very, very shortly. Awesome. All right. Next up, we have Black Cat number 10, which for me really embodies so much of what I think of like a quintessential Jed McKay story. Jed is, of course, the writer here in that I feel like for most of this issue, maybe I think it's just the pacing with which the entire thing is imbued. Black Hat is falling off of buildings, jumping around, leaping around. It just, it carries so much pace with it, not just in terms of the action, which is brought to you beautifully by CFV, but in terms of the way the story is told, in terms of the panel layout, in terms of the dialogue, and it just in terms of the frame of mind that we know that Felicia is in, in this issue and in this Infinity Score storyline. But my nice award for niceness goes to the one and the only Nighthawk, because I will never get enough Nighthawk and uh, was very, very happy to see him pop up here. And that's not all. There's another character that I was even happier to see show up. It's a character that I want to see show up in every single comic that we read. It's one of my favorite new characters. Anyway, just pick up the issue, read it, and you'll find out. Yeah. All right, let's keep rolling. We've got Dark Hawk number two out this week. This book is not pulling punches. Uh, We get a cool surprise cameo from Miles Morales. I will give my nice award for niceness to the nod to sneaker culture. It's just like a bunch of sneakerheads. And I was like, yeah, I, I know people who will travel from like Brooklyn to the Bronx to get a pair of sneakers that are like super rare early in the morning. And that happens here. Next up, we have the terrifying tome that is being creaked open here with the Darkhold Alpha number one. This is a book I feel like we've been talking about for a long time. There's a lot to talk about this issue, and this is almost one of my picks this week. I thought it really delivered, especially Mm. considering how much anticipation there has been around this. I want to give my nice award for nicest to artist Sean Tormey because I think with two characters like Scarlet Witch and Doctor Doom, we're talking about two of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. They have enormous power, but in a way that's not always so physically manifested. Now, the ability to illustrate that and really communicate the resonance and the scale of these characters' abilities, particularly because it's all being unleashed by this dark book, by the curse within, it's sort of all done in this twisted, weird way. And I think Sean Tormey really, really does it well. This is a whole kind of corner of the Marvel Universe that's just sprouting up here that I'm really, really interested to see how it goes. The tie-ins, the main story, everything with Vic and Wanda. I'm really excited. Yeah. Also, Iron Man looks so gross. Yeah. By the end of this book and in <laughs> the cover of the Darkhold Iron Man number one, which we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. It's so disgusting. It's yeah. so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. All right, let's move on. We've got another blah, gnarly issue with Extreme Carnage Omega number one. There's a lot that happens in this one, so I don't want to spoil anything. Definitely go check it out. You can see how Carnage may or may not come out of this one. The winner 
He's nasty. He's got like all the knives and the, the the swords and the eating of the people, and he does it very well. My nice award for niceness goes to landing this on the week when the Venom There Will Be Carnage movie comes out. Kudos to the publishing team for lining that up right. <laughs> Get yourselves to a comic book shop after you see the movie this weekend. All right. Next up, we have The Marvels, number five. I really think, you know, now that we're on the fifth issue of this series, it feels like we are able to see the idea behind the existence of this book in all its potential. And when it's written by Kurt Busiek, one of the all-time, you know, legendary writers who has a famously encyclopedic knowledge of the Marvel Universe, it's both taking advantage of and utilizing like the characters we know and love. But it's also diving and reaching for some of the deepest cut characters that you can possibly imagine. And it's weaving those together with entire new creations, um, new characters that are appearing for the very first time that are entirely up to, in this case, Kurt and, and artist Yildur Aysenera. Um, In particular, there's a character that pops up that I want to give my nice award for niceness to, but he shall remain unnamed I like him, though, because of his name. And when you pick up the issue, you'll see why. Is it the, the one at the end? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We've got nonstop Spider-Man number five out this week. I was very upset. I will say this to read this and then see that this is the final issue of this series. But the story is continuing on in a new title. And you'll find out why as you read this. I will give my nice award of niceness to Joe Kelly, the writer's way of writing Baron Zemo. You don't want to make Nazis too silly because you you don't want to take away from the atrocities, but you also want to basically make them look like fools. He doesn't quite look like a fool here, but there's just such a fun tone around this storyline. I think Joe just does such a great job. And then it made me hear Baron Zemo's voice as voiced by Flula Borg, the comedian, (laughs) who I think is fantastic and very funny. So that's where I'm going with it. That's where my head is on this issue. Totally. Love it. All right. Next up, we have sword number eight. This is an entire issue that's really focused about Storm. It is so wonderful. I think Al Ewing, the writer, has such an acute understanding of what makes a character like Storm so special. We open up the issue with this beautiful full page by artist Gaiu Villanova of Storm over the top of a terraformed Mars. And it's just accompanied by one caption. It just says, above what once was Mars, I soar in a private sky. That feels like the opening to like some like great American novel or something like that. And it's just beautiful. And what I'm getting at there is I think Al has such a command of the quiet power of Storm. Obviously, Storm is one of the most visual and visually powerful characters in the Marvel Universe, but it's what's at the core of Aurora that makes her so powerful. We go from there, and then things just kick off. The place that this started and then where it ended up, I could not have seen it coming. And then again, it's just the way that it wraps up, the way that the story goes, the direction it moves in is so thoughtful and great. It's just so well composed. So nice award for nicest Al Ewing, of course, uh, to the entire creative team, because there's some really big swings taken here, and I think they're done beautifully. And then just to Storm. I mean, good God, it's a great reminder of just what an amazing character this is. One of the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. 
I'm continuing on with Star Wars number 17. This is another War of the Bounty Hunters issue. There's some really well done, sparse, beautiful scenes involving Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. We're in a very unique and particular point in those characters' relationship. And that's something obviously that Greg Pak and company have been exploring in the pages of Darth Vader. But how Charles and company do it here is so wonderful. And it's just one of those things where a flinch, a glance, a quiver of the lip can communicate so much. You get it and you're right there. You're so absorbed in the story. I think it was really, really excellent. And then on top of that, we have some great uh, Lando stuff, which I think uh, just fully takes advantage of what makes Lando such a wonderful, wonderful character. Really, really good stuff. The capes. It's all about the capes, baby. Yeah. All right. And I am moving on now swiftly over to... Thor with issue number 17. Right off the bat, when you open this issue, you see, of course, it's written by Dangerous Donny Cates. And then you also have guest art here by Michele Bandini to see an artist jump aboard one of the most visually arresting books that is out there right now and absolutely crush it. It's just so exciting. Now, two words for you here. Battle cat. I swear to God, if the internet gets a glimpse at this cat, they will flip out. It's so good. Uh, it serves a really, really wonderful point in the story. I think it's excellent. It looks great. The undulations of this Thor story have taken us from the super personal into the big cosmic, into the really heavily in intertwined Earth stuff, and now into something else that is just really interesting to see the tour that we're going on with Thor. Call it a Thor tour, but it's really excellent stuff, as well as all the um, you know the personal relationship stuff that we're getting with the Odinson. As always, another excellent issue of Thor. All right, let's wrap up the new comics this week with Winter Guard number two. This one is like a lot of chess pieces moving around, a lot of uh, character building stuff. Uh, but I will give my nice award for niceness to Yelena Belova, who shows up in here uh, and has just a great sequence um, early on in the issue. And I love the dialogue. She gets this cool like flight suit and she's like, you like not quite as fast or durable as the Falcons, but lighter, quieter and half the cost. What can I say? I love a knockoff. I just thought that was so funny, and it's beautifully drawn by Jan Basildua. It's terrific. There's a, a lot of really cool stuff in this issue, and I'm I'm curious how it's all going to shake out. I think the Winter Guard is a, a really neat team, and someone that I want more people to check out, especially having seen them in Avengers and, and, and whatnot, but here, a good amount of spotlight on all of them. Now, those are the comics available on the uh, the comics app and in your local comic shop. But we also have a bunch of Infinity Comics out this week, only on Marvel Unlimited. What came out earlier this week is X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comic number five. That's a, a brand new arc. Starts in this issue. Uh, it's written by Jerry Duggan with art by Emilio Laiuso. And it features Nature Girl. Uh, we have a second issue of Venom Carnage, which is by Carla Pacheco and Scott Hepburn, which is a friggin' great team. Those are H&M All-Stars right there. I absolutely love the work uh, that those two people put out. So good. And then the big one coming out in celebration of Catherine's birthday tomorrow, Deadpool Infinity Comic number one, written by Jerry Duggan, art wow. by Lucas Wernack. That is a ding dang delight of a book right there. Or I guess it's not a book. It's an Infinity comic. A scrolly? Can we call them yeah. scrollies? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a really great scrolly this week. 
So awesome. Now looking over to new collections this week. Speaking of Jerry Duggan, we have Cable by Jerry Duggan, Volume 2. We have Reign of X, Volume 4. So a bunch for you mutant lovers out there. Uh, And then Captain Marvel, Volume 6, Strange Magic. Some steamy stuff going on over there. Love it. Ooh. And once again, back to Marvel Unlimited real quick, uh, a whole bunch of new releases in MU on top of the Infinity Comics. You've got issues of Sword, Silk, Wolverine, Captain Marvel, and most importantly for us to talk about right now, Gamma Flight number one, which launches right into our conversation. Isn't that right, Tucker? That's right. We're talking with Gamma Flight co-writer Crystal Frazier about the very origins and uh, opening issues of Ms. Marvel. That's Kamala Khan. So let's jump into that right now with Crystal. Members of the Mary Marvel Marching Society, please welcome game designer, writer, artist, all-around creative person, and someone that we are going to dig into some real good comics with, Crystal Frazier. Hey, Crystal. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show, Tucker. Of course. Of course. I'm very, very, very excited about this one. And it's something I think about often when it comes to Ms. Marvel, when it comes to this run, because... As the years pass, this is one of those that stands greater and greater and greater in the pantheon of Marvel Comics. So I just wanted to hear just right off the bat, we're talking about Ms. Marvel, the first five issues from 2014. What made you pick this comic? I mean, I just, I really love G. Willow Wilson's run on on Ms. Marvel. I think it's just an amazing run of comics. I think it speaks really well to our generation and it's one of the few times in comics you see a female character who's not trying to be cool or rather who's who's trying to be cool but the writer knows she's not cool and as as a female comics fan who is not cool I can really <laughs> empathize with that. Well, you're in good company. None of us are cool here. Um I want to get into this our producer Jasmine always likes to see if our guests can give a 30-second summary of the story that we're reading, this run of Ms. Marvel, the no normal first five issues of the run. Starting in three, two, one. All right, Ms. Marvel, no normal, is a story arc where lovable nerd Kamala Khan is trying to reconcile, trying to be a normal American teenager while she's also surviving as the daughter of immigrants from Pakistan who have a more conservative outlook than she does. Uh, The first time she sneaks out at night and disobeys her family, she is caught up in a superhero event that grants her powers and battles an evil cockatiel. (laughs) (laughs) Right under the wire and got in the the evil cockatiel. Perfect. Yeah, that was great. Evil cockatiel's the real moneymaker. Yeah, in so many ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that description because while we do get eventually in the last two seconds of that recap, we get to evil cockatiel. But the first 28 seconds are about family. They're about parents and kids and the relationship and being a person and the difficulties and struggles of what that's all about. Well, I mean, would anybody care about Spider-Man if Peter Parker weren't such a lovable dork? Right. I mean, that's the thing. The origin story of Kamala Khan, these early issues of Ms. Marvel 
are the modern day equivalent of Amazing Fantasy 15, of early Amazing Spider-Man. They are that good. It captures whatever that ephemeral, impossible to describe thing is in the air and they put it into a comic book. I don't know what it is. If if anyone knew what it was, we would get 10 of these a year, but we don't. Wilson knows what it is. She wrote right. it. <laughs> I, I would love to give her 10 more books a year. <laughs> um, you and me both. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've said it repeatedly on my Twitter feed. Good isn't a thing you are. Good is a thing you do is our generations mm. with great power comes great responsibility. So perfect. Yeah, we should uh, make sure we, we give the credits to this run. So we're talking about Ms. Marvel issues one through five. It is the No Normal collection. If you're reading it on Marvel Unlimited, it's real easy to find. It is written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Adrian Alfona, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And important to note, edited by Sana Amanath, who is also co-creator of Ms. Marvel alongside Willow and who is a friend, and I adore her. So I hadn't read this in years, so revisiting it was so great. We're going to talk about everybody involved in this, but one of the things that blew me away is just how absolutely incredible Adrian Alfona is in this book. Oh, my gosh. All right. Oh, the art is just so, so rich and expressive and just gets across every little detail about how characters are feeling. And so full of vibrancy and energy and it's sort of the world around Kamala complements the way Willow writes Kamala in a lot of ways. It's weird. It's kind of quirky. Jersey City is a little off. It's funny. It's got personality. And it just, the world that Adrian draws feels like its own character. And I think that's an important thing because when you read this series, Kamala's so tied to Jersey City. It means so much to her that, of course, it has to be its own character. Of course, it has to be something that you connect to in a very special way. It's similar to the New York City of Marvel Comics that is important to the many of the characters. Jersey City is so crucial to Kamala. There's so much love. You can tell he has fun with backgrounds, whereas for a lot of comic artists, drawing the backgrounds is sort of the the chore part of the job. <laughs> but like he fills in so many details. There's, you know, junk in the streets. There's labels on all the boxes and the shelves. The thing I always remember from the first issue is Badgerade, which is a, a soft <laughs> drink or, or energy drink they sell over at the Circle Q. It's just there in the background in like half the panels that are set in the Circle Q. Yeah, it's wonderful. We're going to get more into the story. Um, I also wanted to talk to you because you recently launched a new series here at Marvel, which is cool. But you, you with uh, with Gamma Flight, which was great. I love those characters. And anytime you give me uh, Absorbing Man of Titania, I'm just like all over it. It's so good. That really was the hook that got me interested in writing the series. <laughs> <laughs> that and Puck. I mean, it's a great team. It's a really, really great team. Yeah. And I've I've got to admit, I went in loving Titania, and I left loving uh, Charlene and Doc Sasquatch. (laughs) Yeah, I am such a big fan. I I could not have been more excited. So to dig into Ms. Marvel a little bit more, Crystal, when was the first time you read this series? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. I was picking it up as it was coming out. I've been a big fan of Captain Marvel back when they were calling her Ms. Marvel. It was terrible to me when they stopped the run, but at the same time, the relaunch where they're 
she rebrands as Captain Marvel is amazing. And then they announced we're going to do sort of a spinoff of Ms. Marvel with this new character. And it's she's a teenage hero. I got really excited. I hadn't heard of G. Willa Wilson at that point, but all of the art I'd seen coming out for it looked amazing. So I had my comic shop pre-order it for me and sign me up for a subscription site unseen. And I had gone in thinking it was a going to be a sort of a cosmic book because it was coming off of older Ms. Marvel and all of the concept art Kamala was posing with her stuffed animal, which looked like a weird little alien in boxing gloves. So <laughs> it's definitely a different book than I was expecting, but I was not disappointed. I don't know if it's weird to say, but when I started reading Ms. Marvel, I was one of those sort of insufferable atheists who thought faith was a terrible part of the human condition. And I left the series thinking, oh, I've really misjudged what faith means to a lot of people. And I credit Wilson for really helping me grow out of being quite a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The fact that a great comic helped you connect a little bit to that part of yourself to see that is really neat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in central Florida where you're surrounded by a very particular flavor of Christianity. And it was something I decided young that it was not for me. It was something that was actively harmful to me. So I shut it all out and was very confident and smug in my own superiority for having shut it out. And, you know, kind of let that smugness blind me to the fact that it is something beautiful and important to a lot of people. I'm always so curious to think about just the general milieu in which someone grows up and whether that's a natural conduit to being creative, to being into comics or something like this. Did you have a local comic shop growing up in Florida? Were you going, were you reading comics on a, you know, a weekly basis? When did that start? I mean, I've been reading comics since I was little. My mother got comic books for me when I was first learning to read because We didn't know it until years later, but I was dyslexic. So the all capital letter word balloons and the balloons separated out made it so much easier for me to read. I could get into comics when I struggled with print books. So my mom would just bring home comic books from the supermarket or things like that, which is how I ended up getting into Ninja Turtles at age four. (laughs) Also how I learned to swear (laughs) because it was the Mirage Ninja Turtles. That's the good stuff. (laughs) But yeah, we had a a local comic shop where I grew up that, oh gosh, I guess they went out of business when I was 13 or 14 in junior high. And that's kind of when I had to stop reading comics or at least new comics until I went to college. And then of course it was a college town. It had a comic shop. (laughs) But for me, it was escapism because, you know, especially being a little queer kid in a rural farm town, I didn't have a lot of friends, so most of my time was spent, you know, reading books, reading comics, watching TV, writing my own stories, things like that. You're you're like the perfect person. If someone's like, comics are are bad for you, like, no, look at all the good that (laughs) comics can bring to someone's life. It's great. Was the fact that you grew up in Central Florida, you said yourself, you didn't have many friends, you were going, you know, to the local comic shop, you're reading, you were creating these worlds in your head. Is that the pathway that you would describe to the career you have today? Or is it a little bit less simple than that? I mean, it's a little more roundabout. There's more twists and bends, but that is really the core of it. I I needed space to escape and comics gave that to me. I needed 
I need people like me to look up to and comics in it unintentionally gave that to me. I'm part of the Marvel Pride anthology that came out. I read a story in there about basically what She-Hulk meant to me growing up as, you know, I was a little trans girl and I knew by 12 or 13, I was a girl. I just, I looked like a boy and then I hit my growth spurt and I ended up six feet tall and fairly muscular. And I thought I'm never going to be attractive and then that's about the time I found Sensational She-Hulk. And this was a woman who was six foot 10 and muscular and she was funny and she was loved and she was confident. And I just poured so much of my self-worth into that character. I fell in love with the genre pretty early on and always wanted to write comics, to draw comics. I'm not a very good artist, but I tried anyway for a while and... That kind of led to me working in the games industry as a writer, and that sort of led back around to writing comics. I really dug the She-Hulk story in the Pride Anthology. It was it was really sweet. When someone reads it, I think they will really dig it. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it, it was great. So you, you worked a bunch with Al Ewing. How did the two of you get linked up and connected to start working together? Oh, well, that that all comes back to a mutual friend of ours, Jay Edidin. He was an editor at Dark Horse for a while. He's written for Marvel. I suspect he is some kind of ascended being because, I mean, he's good at everything and he knows everybody. And I think he's existed for time immemorial. But I guess Al knew Jay. And when Jay wanted to add a transgender character to Immortal Hulk, he went to Jay first to ask about it. And Jay's like, that's you know, enough outside of my wheelhouse. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine who's written trans characters in comics and she's trans and she does work in the games industry on the same topic. And Al and I hit it off, I guess. He worked with me to make sure Charlene McGowan came out really well. Al had obviously done a lot of the good development and research himself. So by the time I was there, we could talk about like, well, this is some of the nuance and how it affects a character. And this might be how she talks about this subject, you know, even if she's not out. And, you know, we got to play with her character development a lot more. That's kind of where it came out that being trans, she'd done a lot of self-examination. So she understood, she understood the difference between things that were essential to her versus things that were being forced on her by the world. And that's kind of how she saw through some of what was going on with Zemnu. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about your work in the role-playing space and like the gaming space and all that stuff. I think it's cool. And I don't have a lot of insight into what the process is of writing for stuff like Pathfinder and those types of games. Um, is it a linear type of storytelling for your the way you go through it? How is that like? I mean, I, I like to make a joke that uh, writing for RPG adventures is like writing for comics, but easier because you only have to write half the story. <laughs> <laughs> There's similar creative skills of, you know, figuring out the world, figuring out characters and their motivations. But there's this void where you you can't know what your heroes are going to do once they step into the situation. So you you need to flesh out your side characters and your villains and your monsters well enough that the game master at home can figure out what do I do when my players go completely off the rails? There's a lot more time spent on developing villains or developing the stakes or developing the world than you necessarily have in comics. That's kind of cool because it probably, I, I imagine that that fosters a lot of connection 
from the players with the worlds around them. Because of course, you know, you're creating your own character and you're going and you're questing and all this stuff. But when you have creators who are putting so much work and life into all the other parts of the story because you need to, I, I would imagine that that's got to be pretty cool for a player. I mean, I think so. I mean, any given RPG only exists in one person's head. It's only in the player that's experiencing it. So each player at the table has their own version of the campaign and the world in their head. And you're just kind of trying to provide enough of a common language that everybody can communicate. Your experience in this field, I feel like it could give really good insight into on just on the most simple level in a game, getting a player or in a comic, getting a reader, just getting them into the story, pulling them into the story and just getting them to care about the characters and about the stakes and about who these people are and why they should be invested, all of these things. And that is so applicable to what we're talking about today. I mean, with this first issue or the first story arc in general, I would just love to hear your thoughts about the work that this issue and and these five issues does so concisely to instantly get you to know Kamala and her family and her dynamic with her friends and, and her different circles and why that's so effective. The conventional wisdom in games, at least, is you need some kind of opening encounter that the players care about, something that gets them excited or invested, give them some small-scale goal they can all relate to and some opposition to that goal. The gag in the industry is orc and pie. The idea being the goal for a first encounter is there's a pie in this 10-foot by 10-foot room. Well, everybody wants to eat pie. Okay, but there's an orc guarding the pie. (laughs) And so you just sort of blow that up into whatever scenario you want. You present something that, you know, in half a sentence your players want. They want to rescue the kitten. They want to eat the pie. And then you present some obvious obstruction to that often orcs, but not always. Uh, <laughs> and I think I think that small-scale buy-in is really important with comics writing, fiction writing, something like that. You need something immediate that you can relate to with a character. You need to pick up on their goal and their personality. I think the very first appearance of Kamala in Ms. Marvel is her bending over the sandwich counter at the Circle Q, being like, oh, delicious infidel meat. <laughs> and it's like, In one word balloon, you get that she's religious, so she can't eat this, but she wants to eat this and that she's, you know, got this way with words. She's clever. She's fun. She's she's lighthearted. And that is, you know, in one word bubble, everything there is to Kamala besides, you know, her love of family and friends. I think it just kind of feels like you're you're sort of in the back of Kamala's mind along for the ride. And even when she makes bad choices. You understand exactly why, and you know you would have made the same bad choices. Like yeah. you're you're just so connected to her and what she needs versus what she wants versus what she has the chance to do. Even in the first issue where she leaves her house after curfew and she goes to the party and you know she gets involved with all the the, the kids <laughs> and the, the all the the Michigas that's going on there, but then she gets to the mist as she's walking home and she sort of passes out and then wakes up and has that, like the hallucination 
was it Captain America speaking Urdu? Yeah, it's Captain America <laughs> and Captain Marvel is uh, like singing the way I, I read the the text bubble. She's like singing in Urdu and Iron Man is holding her her pet sloth with the wings. And it's like <laughs> the porcupine dude is there and like, a, you know, like there's a bird with a hat. It's like all this stuff. That to me is one of the most wonderful splash pages of this run. It's so out of left field for what many people think of for Marvel. Of like, they put this on the page and I think it really lands. It's so, it's funny and it's weird and it's sweet. And it's so perfect for Kamala's story and like as she develops, like you say, Crystal, you're in sort of like the back of her mind along for the ride. And you're all like, what's happening? And I love it. I love this first issue. I think it's such a stellar introduction. It's not a lot of comics that have zero action in the first issue, and yet you still feel like this is a superhero. There is a panel where Kamala is explaining how she would, if she got superpowers, what she would do and how she would wear Ms. Marvel's (laughs) old costume. And she's like doing this- big platform boots. Yeah, she had the big (laughs) platform boots and the way that Adrian draws her with her lip curled up, it's like, man- (laughs) It's just phenomenal. It's so it's, good. It's exactly how all of us have posed while imagining being superheroes. <laughs> yes. And it's exactly the face we've all made. And the thing that gets me that made it feel like a real teenager is uh, her hallucination of Captain Marvel saying, you've got some kind of boot fetish. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, it's subtly daring in those ways where... Like you said, Ryan, it's not the usual picture of not just Kamala's world and, like, her life, but of, like, her vision of what superheroes are, of who superheroes are, of her relationship to those people in her world that seem so unreal and then very quickly become very real. And the other thing that I always come back to, this is another thing and why I'm so happy that we're spending the time talking about this, is we talk about G. Willow Wilson, we talk about Adrian Alfona. But we have to shout Ian Herring's name from the rooftops in terms of his contribution to just truly what makes this book so special. These issues are so full of personality, but it's all sort of presented in this way that, I don't know, it feels like a sort of Terrigen mist itself to me when I'm reading it. I just feel so at home and cozy and happy when I'm reading this. And I think a huge part of that is Ian's colors, which are so beautiful and so perfect. Yeah, it feels like all of the colors feel like they're coming from light that is coming through a dust-dappled sunbeam. Mm. Mm. That's the perfect way to describe it. I totally, totally agree. And it's one of those things that when I think about this run, one of like the thought experiments I have is like, I'm trying to imagine it with a different colorist and different colors, bolder colors, sort of richer hues that are really pop off the page, so to speak. And that's something that we talk about often with comics. It's like, oh my God, look at these colors. They're so amazing. Look at how they just jump off of your screen on Marvel Limited or whatever it might be. But this is sort of the opposite in that way. And that's what sort of, I don't know, it just helps you settle into this world. I just couldn't love it more. I want to give also a shout to Willow for taking a word that I only knew from an episode of The Simpsons and turning it into a Marvel superhero catchphrase in Biggin. I forgot that was from The Simpsons. <laughs> it may be from something else on top of that, but Willow seems like such a pop culture junkie where she probably 
like many of us, watched The Simpsons. And when she says Ambigan is as she's discovering her powers in this book, is Kamala's learning about it. And I think, Tucker, to your point, you were talking about Amazing Fantasy and, and you know, the first appearance of Spider-Man. And there's the, you know, because of the way comics were, it was like, you know, two pages of Peter figuring out he could do this and he builds his web shooters and he's like, like learning all his, his abilities right away. Where in this, over the first five issues, we're growing along with Kamala as she figures out what her powers are, how they work, how her healing works, how her growing works, how her shrinking works, what she might need for her costume. And like even the beautiful covers by Jamie McKelvey, where you see her like final hero costume, we're not there yet. We like build up to that point and you see how she gets from point A to point, you know, X of that really amazing final costume. It's one of those great things. It's it's really wonderful origin story, top to bottom. Yeah. She's just a warm, sort of relatable character doing her best. To look back at something like Gamma Flight, Crystal, or other work that you're doing, I'm curious just generally of like your broader inspirations. And I, I ask that because I think it's perfectly clear that this run, these first issues are like hugely influential and will be even more influential as we go into the future as the people who were reading this and in years to come will be the comic creators of tomorrow. I'm just curious for you to transition this conversation from one about where you grew up in the past and all of those things to looking more to the future. Like, do you look at certain comics and take inspiration from those? Do you look into the world of games? Are you someone who likes movies and TV or, I don't know, performance art? Like, where do you go to fill up the well in that way? I mean, I mean when you're a writer, you can't help but sort of look at everything you consume and think, oh, that's a good way of doing that. Or, well, that's not how I would do that. It ends up being a thing you can't quite turn off. Uh, but just to sort of restock my well, one of the things I love is comics and animation aimed at not necessarily little kids, although sometimes little kids, but like that eight to 12 range, because there are things that I think the companies that produce them know we're kind of targeting this at adults, but we also want it to appeal to kids, you know, eight to 12, and also ideally a little lower. So you have to be very considered in how you present, you know, plot points and develop characters and things like that. Uh, a great example is uh, Kipo in the Age of Wonder Beasts on Netflix, where you have this whole world you know, this whole world to develop where, you know, there's very clearly some horrible things in the past, like, you know, genocide, slavery, uh, you know, all kinds of very heavy topics, but it's presented in a way that's not going to be, or it's presented in a way that makes you understand the stakes and the damage done without being graphic or, you know, needlessly, you know, shocking just for the sake of being shocking. And it's it's a storytelling challenge that I love to see how people navigate. You mentioned growing up and loving She-Hulk, and there's been some incredible She-Hulk stuff in mm -hmm. the past few years. I mean, thinking of Avengers, it's been such a wild ride with that character. And I think we're, we're probably headed into an even greater She-Hulk renaissance in the months and years to come. 
But, you know, you talked about that being one of your favorite early reads and, and things like that. Are there other characters that that you love and or as a writer you would love to get your hands on? <laughs> I mean, my number one goal, and my editors know it, is She-Hulk. Yeah. That is where my eyes are set. And <laughs> I don't know if you're ever going to hear from me again. I hope you do. But <laughs> uh, that is definitely something I am going to bug Sarah and Will about at every opportunity. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, obviously everybody loves Spider-Man. It would be amazing to, no pun intended, write Spider-Man. I loved the Fantastic Four when I was younger, but they have such a rich, well-developed whole universe at this point that I haven't kept up on since the early 90s that I I do not think I could do them justice. <laughs> um, I'm kind of a big nerd for the Ninja Turtles, would love to write that someday, but Sophie Campbell is doing such a great job on it right now that I couldn't even imagine trying to replace that. I was a giant X-Men nerd growing up, like everybody who was, you know, a tween in the 90s. And being <laughs> able to write an X-Book someday would be amazing, uh, especially Dazzler or Rogue or Gambit. Nice. Speak on that. Speak on your love for Gambit real quick. You don't, ha- you uh, don't, you don't have to. It's quite all right. We need uh, not talk about Gambit We've got Gambit a big Gambit fan all. over here. Ryan. <laughs> we're, we're totally, you know what? Oh, look at the time. He was that naughty bad boy at that age where, you know, I was really into naughty bad boys <laughs> and he's got the accent and, you know, it was the nineties. We thought those haircuts were attractive. It was a different time. <laughs> I love I love any like explanation or rationalization of just being like, hey man, it was the nineties, okay? What do you expect? Look, our options were the head sock or frosted tips, all right? I appreciate any celebration of Gambit that also insults him. So great job there. I, I, I do appreciate oh, that. Oh yeah. I really like what you were talking about, Ms. Marvel, I think is a great title that can fit into that. Yeah, it's kind of aimed for maybe a young adult, but can be enjoyed by anyone of any age. And I think if a kid picks it up, that's one of those things, like if a little bit younger reads it, we'll probably connect with a bunch of things. And then five, 10 years later, we'll come back to him and be like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I I do love that sort of, that sort of not universal appeal, but the complexity, the layers, something that appeals on a surface level. And then there's more deeper down that you can appreciate as an adult. I have no idea how they ended up putting me on a, a basically a very heavy horror book when my other writing credits are like young adult, like <laughs> young adult romance. <laughs> well, in its own special way, like being a young adult is just a, one long horror story. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I could get into horror stories, but I don't think this is that kind of podcast. <laughs> you know, I think that there's a, a very apparent depth to your storytelling, even in, you know, when you, when you read Gamma Flight, just everything around Rick, I thought was so sad and sweet. And there's such care there. I feel bad for Dell. He's had a really rough couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's some really great sequences in that first issue. It's all I've read so far. It's all I could speak to. And I think, you know, you say maybe you've got this, you know, the romance and the YA stuff, but clearly you, you can do whatever you can do. You, you got it all. I mean, Al did a lot of the heavy lifting on, on that book. He knows the characters a lot better than I do. He knows all the lead into it. So a lot of that credit goes to him. I, I just provided some witty dialogue. <laughs> 
I mean, that's something I, I before we wrap up here that I that you mentioned, and I am super curious about. This is something I've said about Al Ewing for years. Ryan has heard me say it ad nauseum, which is his brain terrifies me because it is so expansive and enormous and capable of so many powerful things. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'm curious if if you know. I don't know if this is a thing where, like the issues that we've been talking about themselves. They're hard to really grasp when you're in the moment, when you're in the thick of it. Maybe you can contextualize it in retrospect, but can you quantify or speak on like what you feel like you have learned from working with Al in such a close way? I mean, just, you know, working with one of the best writers around, it's it's incredible. Yeah. I imagine this is what it feels like to be Albert Einstein's lab partner in science class. Um, like I'm, I'm not dumb. I'm not a bad writer, but like the way Al's brain just connects all these little things so quickly. We, we did, you know, one-on-one -on -one brainstorming in zoom calls to kind of work out, you know, what we wanted to happen and what characters we wanted to use and what kind of arc we wanted to go through. And I feel like I've made some good contributions, but we ended up bouncing ideas back and forth so much. There's a lot that, I mean, it's a better book than I could have written on my own. I think Al could have done just fine without me, but I think he also appreciated the, like, if nothing else, somebody there to write half the pages. <laughs> um, and I think, I think my experience writing romance comics and those touching moments kind of helped a lot when he was coming off of Immortal Hulk, where things are very dire and heavy. I think I think I got to sort of breathe a little bit of levity and a little bit of healing into a bunch of these characters. But yeah, working with Al is, I mean, just the way he thinks from the start of page layout through, well, how do we want the letter to bold and punctuate specific things so that, you know, the panel doesn't feel crowded. He's just kind of got it all going on in the back of his head at any moment. It's scary. Yeah. Oh, Plus <laughs> he's got an entire database of Hulk from issue one, just right, right. loaded in the back there. <laughs> yeah. Now that he's, he's wrapping up, it's just, he's just going to click a button. All the Hulk falls <laughs> out. It's just, <laughs> and he starts loading in the venom and loading in the, the other things that he's working on. <laughs> guy's wild whatever he works on next i'm happy to follow <laughs> uh and we'll be happy to talk to you again have it come on the show hopefully again talk about some more books hopefully you get to write those those characters except for gambit that you were really into <laughs> and uh yeah. i i feel like i feel like i could do the book where gambit finally comes out of the closet and transitions to be a woman really well now we're oh, hell yeah <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. He is trying too hard. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. This is too spot on. I love it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, Crystal, thank you so much for coming on the, the show. Uh, thank you for chatting about Ms. Marvel and so much more. Uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Crystal. Thank you once more to Crystal. I had such a good time with that conversation. Crystal was a real pleasure to talk to, especially about this series, which I think holds a special place for so many people. Definitely. All right, that wraps it up for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jasmine Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. 
Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Polis audio development manager. And, you know, Brad had the fortunate time to sit in on some X-Men story planning meetings. And he's he got invited to the x Slack, mm-hmm. And so he pitched really hard for a storyline called Disco Inferno. And so um, <laughs> he was immediately kicked out of everything having to do with the X-Men, thankfully, because now we have Inferno. <laughs> Dazzler stars in it. Come on. What a- Brad had it right. He knew what he was doing. Maybe we'll get a what if. There was a disco inferno on Krakoa. Someday. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.